0: Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at FUMC Opelika. Thanks for tuning in. My friends, this morning uh, we are in part two of a sermon series that we're calling The Why of Renovation. As you've already heard, in 2022, we're going to renovate this sanctuary and the spaces beneath it. So we wanted to spend a few weeks talking about why. So if you were with us last Sunday, you'll remember that it was All Saints Sunday. And we lit candles on the altar table, remembering those who have graduated from this life into life eternal. But each of those candles represented a lifetime, a lifetime of worship and service, a lifetime of transformation, a lifetime of struggling with God, or in the best cases, a lifetime of faithfulness. So one of the things we said is that one of the reasons why we're renovating is because we want more lifetimes. We want more stories of saints that are worth celebrating. And uh, today, what we're going to say is that another reason why we're renovating is that we want more followers. Uh, we want more people who, through the mission and ministries of this church, become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so today, uh, we're going to look at a story from the Gospels. and the story is about a man who wanted to be a follower of Jesus. It's a story about a man who wanted to follow Jesus. But ultimately, he could not. And the roadblock that stood in the way of this man pursuing Jesus was his own pursuit of a lifestyle. The obstacle that stood in the way of this man becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus was his unwillingness to be generous as God is generous. And so with that in mind, uh, let us turn our attention now to our story. And it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And as you are able, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, "A good teacher, what must I do?" to inherit eternal life. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. uh, You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I've kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "Uh, How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, "Uh, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, It is impossible. But now, for God. For God, all things are possible. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Living God, speak to me. Speak through me. If necessary, speak in spite of me, but always beyond me. God, as you speak, give to us open ears, soft hearts, and courageous minds that we might be shaped by your word and our lives might be ordered according to your wisdom, which orders all things for good. Hear this, our prayer, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Seven and a half feet tall, 10 feet long. Seven and a half feet tall, 10 feet long. Initially, my plan was to have a live camel standing before you in the front of the sanctuary this morning. Um, But as it turns out, that would have been obscenely expensive. And given our focus this month on giving and generosity, uh, Nolan thought it would have been in bad taste to spend that kind of money on an illustration. Uh, So blame Nolan if you must. But this morning, you're just going to have to imagine with me. Uh, Imagine a live camel standing before you in the front of the sanctuary. Well, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, Uh, a fully grown, one-humped dromedary camel stands about seven and a half feet tall from the ground to the top of its hump and about 10 feet long from nose to tail. And in Jesus' day and in his part of the world, a camel likely would have been the largest animal that Jesus' audience could have conceived of. Seven and a half feet tall, 10 feet long. I want you to hold those dimensions in your mind. You see, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has just finished teaching that if anyone wants to enter the kingdom of God, then they'll have to approach the kingdom as children, as having nothing like children have nothing. But as soon as these words leave his mouth, uh, someone with everything, a rich man, approaches Jesus. And we all know that you don't have everything you want without knowing how to get anything you want. So uh, the rich man, the man with everything, tries his hand at flattery. A good teacher, he calls Jesus. And then uh, this rich man proceeds to ask Jesus a rich man's sort of question. I mean, with everything in this life taken care of, no worries, uh, the rich man asks Jesus what he must do to inherit the next life. And notice, and notice that Jesus does not return the rich man's flattery. Instead, he responds by giving him the most ordinary answer imaginable. He recites the 10 Commandments. Uh, But the rich man waves him off, no, 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 you, you don't understand. I've already done all that. I'm a good person. I'm religious. I don't lie, I haven't cheated on my wife, I haven't stolen from my neighbors. You're still missing one thing, Jesus says. Go, liquidate your 401K, empty your savings, put the house on the market, trade in the car, Sell the season tickets, forget that beach vacation, uh, cancel your membership at the club, uh, go sell everything. Give the cash to the poor, then come follow me. And the rich man says, yeah, I don't think so. Then Jesus looks at this one rich man and makes a sweeping generalization about all rich people, their salvation is impossible, Which is crazy, right? I mean, this is the same Jesus who promised paradise to the thief on the cross. This is the same Jesus who refused to condemn the adulterous woman. This is the same Jesus who compared himself to a shepherd who will go out of his way searching for that single lost sheep. This is the same Jesus who said that God's love is like an old lady who turns her house upside down looking for a dime. This same Jesus says that salvation is impossible for the rich. The disciples, like many of you, are understandably confused. (laughs) Oh, what do you mean impossible? I mean, Jesus says, it's about as likely as shoving a fully loaded seven and a half by ten foot camel through the eye of a needle. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just kidding. (laughs) But now that I have your attention, uh, how about some good news? Uh, If I had you sweating bullets or uh, perhaps fighting the urge to throw your hymnal at me, uh, don't worry. Uh, There's actually... Uh, several ways you can let yourself off the hook. For example, uh, the ancient church father Origen pointed out that the Aramaic word for camel is nearly identical to the Aramaic word for nautical rope. So when Jesus says impossible, he may not have meant camel through the eye of a needle impossible. But according to Origen, he may have meant that the rich getting into heaven is more like threading a mariner's rope through the eye of a needle. See? That's more comforting, right? No? Well, well, listen, if nothing else, you can take comfort in the fact that Jesus didn't say this to everyone. He didn't. I mean, Jesus didn't tell the 12 disciples to sell everything and give it to the poor. I mean, sure, they dropped fishing nets, they left boats in the water, they walked away from homes and presumably families within them. But Jesus didn't tell them they had to or that heaven was null and void. And when a lawyer, who definitely wasn't poor, asked Jesus this same question about eternal life, the lawyer doesn't get an impossible image of a camel squeezing through the eye of a needle. He gets a story about a good Samaritan And loving your neighbor or what about the woman caught in adultery Jesus doesn't tell her go and give everything away Jesus tells her go and sin no more which is much easier so before you get all worked up about this gospel passage just remember that Jesus didn't say this to everyone Jesus doesn't pull the camel through the eye of a needle comparison for everyone He just says it to the rich, about the rich. So as long as we're not rich, we're in the clear. Oh, we can drop our nets. We can love our neighbors as ourselves. We can go and sin no more, but we don't have to worry that our salvation is impossible. But how do you know? How do you know if you're rich? After all, rich people are notoriously adept at deceiving themselves. In study after study, sociologists have shown how rich people seldom think of themselves as rich. It's always the person above them or in front of them. It's always the person who has more or who makes more. A few years ago, Money Magazine surveyed its readers and asked them how much they would need in liquid assets to consider themselves wealthy. Survey says, $5 million. Seems a little high to me. But here's the thing when it comes to wealth, we don't have to agree on tax brackets or net worth. We don't need to debate exact amounts or dollar figures because, as it turns out, we can easily identify a rich person based on some very specific behaviors. Some, you might be a rich person if behaviors. Uh, For example, uh, one of the things that rich people do, it's called upgrade. Maybe you've read about it. Uh, It's where a person has something, uh, something that works perfectly, and then they go out and get another one just like it, only newer, and then they have two. It's strange, right? Uh, Like I said, we don't have to agree on net worth because we can ID a rich person based on the crazy things they do. Don't believe me? Listen to this. Some rich people will go into a kitchen. A kitchen with countertops, a microwave, and an oven. And guess what they'll do? They'll rip it all out. And then... They'll replace it with countertops, a microwave, and an oven. You're laughing because it's crazy, right? I mean, something else rich people do. Maybe you've heard of this before. Uh, They'll open up a refrigerator filled with food. They'll look inside, survey the contents, and then they'll say the craziest thing. There's nothing to eat. It's true. Uh, Don't tell her I said this. Uh, But I happen to know uh, one rich woman. I know her fairly well. Uh, And she has like 12, 13, 14 pairs of shoes. But she's always on the lookout for another. I mean, what could you possibly do with 14 pairs of shoes? That's like half of February. (laughs) But this rich woman I know, she happens to be married to a rich man. And he'll often stand in front of his closet and say, I've got nothing to wear. When the truth is, he's got work clothes and after work clothes, work out clothes and work in the yard clothes. It's ridiculous, I know. And that's why we don't have to peek inside someone's portfolio to know if they're rich. Their behaviors are so easy to spot. Uh, For example, rich people, they have so much stuff that they'll gather up things that they don't use, things that all work fine, and they'll give it away. And then they'll feel good about themselves for giving away stuff they don't need to create more space in their home so they can go and buy more stuff they don't need. Rich people do the craziest things. But it's not just the crazy things that make a rich person easy to identify. A show of hands, this is participatory, uh, a show of hands, uh, how many of you know someone who owns a car? Any kind of car? Only 8% of the world owns a car. 92% of the world would look at that car and think, rich. How many of you know someone who has some way to drink a glass of clean water? One billion people in the world would look at that glass of water like it was gold, lick their lips and think, rich. I mean, how much change do you have on you right now? Because nearly two billion people in the world live on less than $3 a day. Don't worry. I won't tell the IRS, but congratulations, you're rich. I've been to other parts of the world. I've met children in other countries, and I can say with great confidence that my garbage disposal eats better than they do. I'm rich. And I know, I get it. The way wealth works, you probably don't consider yourself rich. I know that in this part of the world, you are probably not considered rich. But don't forget that Jesus was a homeless dude and probably wouldn't find that a very persuasive argument. It is a dangerous thing when we think our world is the world. It's dangerous because when we think our world is the world, we're likely to read right on past a scripture like today's, and not even realize that Jesus just said, our salvation is impossible. In our scripture, the rich man asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answers by reciting the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, so forth. But notice, and notice that Jesus doesn't rattle off All of the Ten Commandments. He leaves off the first two, the most important two, the two of which the other eight are only subsets. He leaves off the first two. I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. I've done all that, the rich man says. I've kept those commandments. And Jesus replies, well, there's one more thing. What about the first two commandments? How are you with those? Only Jesus doesn't phrase it that way. He asked it instead in an object lesson uh, sell off your stuff, uh, put it on eBay or a Facebook marketplace. Uh, get rid of everything that you have so that you just have me. Get rid of all your treasure and you can have me, your homeless God, as your greatest treasure. Mark says the rich man walks away grieving. And that word for grieving in the Greek, it's the exact same word that Mark uses to describe another rich young ruler. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus sweats blood on the night before he gives everything away. Mark says, the rich man walked away grieving for he had many possessions. And Jesus says, rich people, their salvation is impossible. And here's the thing. I know enough rich people to know that that rich man, he probably heard that as bad news. Perhaps some of you have heard this as bad news. Which just goes to show how money makes it hard to hear the gospel. Because it's not bad news. It's not. I mean, let's be honest. A rich people like us, we're such sinners. Our hearts have so many idols. Money's just the primary one. Our hearts have so many idols. We've hurt people in our lives. We've messed up our own lives in so many ways. Well, we're such sinners that it would take an impossible miracle to save rich people like us. I mean, our salvation, it is as likely as a rich man willingly making himself poor. Not going to happen. Our salvation is as likely as a king stepping down off his throne to become a servant of all. What are the odds? Our salvation is as likely as someone paying an incredible debt that someone else racked up. I mean, there just comes a price point where no one would ever do that. Our salvation is as likely as an innocent man laying down his life, not for his friends or his family or his country, but for the guilty. What are the chances of that happening? Our salvation is an impossibility. It would be like hell freezing over, like pigs flying or a camel going through the eye of a needle. Our salvation is as likely as a dead man coming back from the grave. Thanks be to God. Friends, one of the reasons why we're renovating is because we want more followers. But followers of Jesus are those who realize that their salvation is an impossible miracle, an act of God, a gift I don't deserve and could never purchase, something that was bought at great cost, but given away freely to you and to me. And once that gospel transforms your heart, you realize that even asking the question, how much do I have to give, or what percentage do I have to give, misses the point entirely. You should want to give all that you can because Jesus Christ gave it all away for you. The Christian life is about giving and living sacrificially. And by definition, giving and living sacrificially means it hurts. It costs something. Look, full disclosure, you pay my salary. So if you want to chalk this up to a self-serving fundraising sermon, that's fine. But notice, notice that on your gift card, there is not a place for you to write down a dollar amount. And that's because it's not about the money. Jesus didn't want the rich man's money, and God doesn't need yours. What God wants is your heart. God wants your heart to be shaped like the heart of Christ. And if the preaching of Jesus again and again and again is any indication, if the preaching of Jesus is any indication, nothing competes with your heart more than money. and Nothing stands in the way of our pursuit of Jesus than our pursuit of a lifestyle. And nothing competes more with our love of God than our love of money. Nothing competes more for our hearts than money. And so it's always good to find out where our heart is, whose our heart is. And don't worry, I'm not going to test you like Jesus did. I'm not going to ask you to go and sell everything and give it away. Because actually, you can find out where your heart is without all that trouble. You just have to think about this one question and answer to yourself honestly. Here it goes. Which reality, if it were true, would cause you greater distress, anxiety, and fear? Reality number one there is no God, your sins have not been forgiven. There is no heaven, and when you die, you won't be with God or any of your loved ones. Or reality two, you have no money. Which reality, if it were true, would cause you greater distress, anxiety, and fear? There is no God, you have no money. Where your answer lies, there lies your heart.